0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel.
1: This is an old master series, and it's the only old master I can think of who is a friend of mine. Um, Not a great personal friend, but a good friend. So... One of the first two books I devoured and then recommended to people who bought my first course was by old master Joe Sugarman, who passed away two years ago, and the book was called Advertising Secrets of the Written Word. Mm -hmm. Just about everything in that book is valid today, and Sugarman writes like a friendly human being, not like an imposing overlord of advertising. It's a very easy book to read, but it's chock full of detailed, high-powered value. So today, as we continue our streak of old master series episodes, we're going to talk about the book and talk about Joe. And the good news is the whole book is available for just in dollars, much less not counting inflation, available for less than half of what I paid for it in 1999. And I marvel at how much good stuff he was able to get in there. We're going to cover some of his most important points today. Just as soon as we cover this, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, business opportunity, finance, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, somebody on LinkedIn cracked that I should also say with great power comes great responsibility. So I think we've just, what have we just done? Uh, wandered into the Marvel multiverse or something?
0: <laughs> we do. I got, I got a real quick question. Two things actually before we start the show. I don't know if it's the same book or not, but one of the very first books that I got on copywriting, it's in the background, the uh ad week copywriting handbook. It,
1: it is the same book, and, okay. and I'll I'll talk about that. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then the other thing I wanted to say was the blue blockers campaign was one of those campaigns that I just studied and studied and studied because It was one of those things that captivated me. I was like, how did this guy put together this whole presentation that has me completely sold on something that was, I mean, copywriting for something that's kind of familiar is easy. Copywriting for something that is brand new and revolutionary, difficult. And he pulled it off. And so that was why I was a huge fan of his stuff very early on. So I'll shut up now and I'll I'll let you jump back into it.
1: Okay. And and I'm, I'm glad you brought up blue blockers. We're going to talk about it just a little bit later, but yeah, you know, he had an engineering degree, but he, he sort of had the, the mind of a a screenwriter as, mm-hmm. as well as a marketer. In fact, let me talk about that in his obituary in the Chicago sun times two years ago, his daughter, April, and I'm quoting the newspaper article here, quoting April. She said her father's vivid imagination was evident in his parenting. When she and her sister were little, she said he would tuck them in with elaborate bedtime stories, big budget productions of the mind Mm -hmm. that often referenced some event from his daughter's day. So out of the family, back into the business, Joe gave a seminar in 1977, right? That's almost 50 years ago or almost 60 years, 50 years ago, almost almost 50 years ago for $2,000. Um, I went to one of those little inflation calculators on the Mm -hmm. internet. That would be a little more than $10,000 today. So a lot, right? He had a pretty interesting testimonial in the book from legendary copywriter Joe Carbo, the guy who wrote The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. And this is what Carbo said about the seminar to Joe Sugarman. He said, you did two things right first you charged $2000 this clever device guaranteed the quality of the participants and assured you of their rapt and undivided attention second you gave them their money's worth i did only one thing right i came <laughs> that's a pretty powerful testimonial if you ask me so from 1977 to 1998 Sugarman ended up giving the seminar small 16 times, and it was always a small group, so he could interact with people, answer questions. Then in 1998, he stopped giving the seminar, and he wrote the book, which is essentially what he covered in the seminar in book form, and that book is the one we're going to talk about today. I would say it's really one of the most valuable books on copywriting ever written. It's very different than Gene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising, for instance, which is packed with value, but really complicated, very hard to absorb and implement. Or Claude Hopkins Scientific Advertising, which is also extremely valuable, but dry as dust. Sugarman seem to have a fun gene that a lot of people in our industry either don't have or have majorly suppressed. And don't get me wrong, I have fun friends in direct response. But no one I can think of is as wild and imaginative as Joe Sugarman was. He sold practical products and whimsical products. Mickey Math was, and I quote him here, a tongue-in-cheek ad that pitched a business executive a children's calculator and bombed. Didn't do very well. Pickle Power was an ad not for the pickle, but for the power, a set of unusual rechargeable batteries and a battery charging system. And then there was Juki Uki, an electric typewriter. He wrote in the book, what do you do when someone hands you a great high-tech product, but the product does not have a very high-tech name? Simple. You play with the fact that for the sophisticated product you're selling, the name is rather stupid. (laughs) He added, the product did well, but we may have offended a few of our customers in the process. That was before canceling and all that stuff. <laughs> um, the book was originally published as Advertising Secrets of the Written Word by Sugarman's company, Delstar Books, in 1998, and it sold for 40 bucks. I bought it in 1999, and you can actually see my review of the book as the second one among 59 reviews on the Amazon page for the original book. But lucky for you, and turns out lucky for Nathan, the book was reissued in 2006 as the AdWe copywriting book, and you can get it on Amazon now for $15. Same book, new title, new publisher, lower price. We'll include a link to get the new book in the show notes. And on a personal note, as I mentioned before, Joe became a friend of mine. We spoke together from the stage a few times. Long, long to- time ago, Joe Vitali and I had a little pre-podcast series, and Joe was kind enough to be a guest on that. And Joe was also kind enough to leave a strong, positive review for my book, Breakthrough Copywriting, which is also very easy to read and valuable in its own way. So today, with Advertising Secrets of the Written Word, also known as the Adway Copywriting book, we're going to dip into... Just three of the dozens of powerful ideas in the book, and then we'll go deeper with our own examples and comments. One important point, Sugarman wasn't just a copywriter who wrote for big publishers. A lot of the famous copywriters, they were essentially contractors. They didn't have the same kind of skin in the game that Joe did. He was an entrepreneur who wrote, and he mailed with his own money, when mailing was the way you did it, and the only way, really. Or... And placed ads with his own money. He was a guy who fought the battle with the FTC. He introduced blue blockers, sunglasses to the world, and he really knew his way around direct response copywriting, having been there and done that. Anything you think of before we go?
0: No, I'm just excited to jump into today's episode.
1: Okay. So the first point we're going to cover in our whirlwind tour of his seminar is sell the concept not the product. Now, this is, when he says concept, he's basically talking about USP or big idea, hook. But Sugarman, who sold a lot of cutting-edge products himself, pointed out the one exception, the important exception to this rule, when the product is so unique or so new that the product itself becomes the concept, Mm -hmm. concept being the big idea. He gives the example of digital watches. His company was a pioneer in marketing these, and he says he could barely keep them in stock. They didn't need a new concept. The words digital watch were enough. Now, I'll give you an example of a concept. Before they were well-known, Sugarman introduced home smoke detectors to the market. His concept, which he uses as a headline, was simply the word nose. That is, a product you attached to the ceiling and it kept sniffing the air for you. In just a few minutes, we'll talk about another section of the book where Sugarman lays out his 10 steps to creating a winning promotion. Selling the concept relates to the first step in that process, namely the interest excitement. And again, we'll get to the other nine steps soon. But the fact is, Many products are just not exciting enough by themselves, and you need to find a way to dramatize them, to make them more personally compelling to a prospect, just to get the prospect's attention. Another recently departed old master, Ted Nicholas, had a great technique he called the ultimate benefit. The idea was if you had unlimited powers to confer a benefit on your product, what benefit would you give it? And that could become your concept. Of course, you might need to fine tune it a little, maybe dial it back a little, maybe mm-hmm. even more today than when Ted introduced the idea, because compliance is a much bigger concern these days mm-hmm. than 30 years ago when Ted introduced the idea. Now, let's look at some other ways to develop your concept. These aren't from the book. These are from me and and the internet and research and life and fellow copywriters, people don't buy products. They buy a better version of themselves. Mm. It's a great quote. I am having trouble finding the source of it, but it's one way of looking at selling the concept rather than the product. You don't buy the product. You buy a better version of yourself. My best guess based on the research I did is it comes from a tech industry company in 2014 called User Onboarding. But wherever it comes from, let's look at better version of yourself. Back in the 70s, as Sugarman points out in his book, the ultimate car to own in California was a Rolls Royce. These days, it seems like it's a Lamborghini. Does owning a fancy car really transform you into a better version of yourself? A lot of people seem to think so. Therefore, it doesn't really matter if it actually does or not. What's important is that people think so, and that's what they're buying. So any gym, personal trainer, bodybuilding course, or weight loss supplement is selling your prospect a better version of themselves. I guess the trick is keeping that better version of yourself, and maybe that's why those businesses stay in business. Mm. Just about every personal growth offer from finishing school to Dale Carnegie to Landmark is offering you a better version of yourself. Your mileage may vary. But here's a quote from Hemingway in support of personal growth. There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your formal self.
0: We've done episodes okay, in what say you uh, we've done episodes in the past where you talked about the things that people are actually buying. I think increased health, saving money, making money. But one of them that you've talked about is status increased status. And I think that that plays a large role in this. If I'm buying a Nike workout suit or Nike basketball shoes, a lot of it isn't really about the shoes themselves. It's about the increased status on the basketball court that I have.
1: You got it. I I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's funny. These little things can make such a big difference between our ears. Yeah. Like just a different basketball suit. Okay. Here's another concept that works that's uh interesting when you buy from us you become part of something bigger okay so this can go anywhere from joining a community to becoming part of a cult but the attraction and the concept are the same you buy and you are no longer alone in that cold uncaring world out there you are warm and safe inside with us pretty appealing invitation right And a good marketing example of this is Tom's Shoes. I used to think that when, I think it used to be that when you bought a pair of shoes from this company, they would donate a pair to someone in need. I think that was true, but they changed it. I just checked their website yesterday and they have a page that says, when you buy Tom's, you help fund access to mental health, a mental health resource for the millions of people who need them. We're in business to improve lives. That's why we give one-third of our profits for good through cash grants and deep partnerships with community organizations to drive sustainable change. Mm. So if you're a libertarian, John Galt kind of person, and you think this couldn't possibly work because people are only self-interested, well, some people are. Apparently, some people aren't. The company made... $392 million in sales in 2022, the last year they have recorded. So apparently it's working. One way to do it.
0: I always warn against trying to impress people into buying. We're such a great company. We're so cool. We started back in 1959. I always warn against trying to impress people into buying. But when it's a shared value, when it's, hey, when you buy with us, you're you're supporting and helping us support something that a value that we both have in common, then it's more about the buyer. It's not Tom shoes helps support mental health issues. It's you be by being a customer of Tom's shoes. You are being the superhero. You're the one helping support the the fight against this cause or helping put shoes on the feet of people in third world countries it's it's something that Tom shoes is doing but it's something that they're allowing you to be part of your you're now the hero in the story
1: yeah absolutely and shared values is like phew, huge in in so many ways so I'm glad I'm glad you put it in those terms so here's another way you can use a concept the concept can be a story. A Nielsen study found that 63% of consumers prefer to buy products and services that have a compelling brand story. This statistic underscores the effectiveness of selling a concept or story rather than focusing solely on the product. And this is, of course, the perfect opportunity for me to remind people to get my book, The Persuasion Story Code. Get my book, The Persuasion Story. Yes, you're getting sleepy. You're getting okay. <laughs> there are many examples of concept being a story, and I'm going to give a real old school one because it's kind of fun. Back in the 60s, Green Giant gained a lot of ground in the canned and frozen vegetable market with a TV commercial that told a story beginning with a song that goes. In the valley of the jolly, ho, 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 green giant. Then you would see little gnomes running around harvesting green beans and chopping them at just the right angle on a green bean conveyor belt. The story was corny, and yes, they sold Niblet's brand corn too, but it worked. These days, people don't know about the conveyor belt, but, you know, the jolly green giant even turned into a popular song by the Kingsman. And you can find it on YouTube if you're a green giant curious. Okay. A more recent example of the story being the brand, being the hook, was Jay Peterman, who both tells stories, wild, adventurous stories in his mail order catalog, and was featured kind of because of that, the TV show Seinfeld, because of his swaggering reputation.
0: I'm just going to add Jay Peterman also does a great job of telling stories about you. I know that a lot of the stuff on their website, the copy is less about the product itself and more about what buying the product says about you. And they usually do that through a story about an adventure on a yacht or an adventure of espionage across multinational borders. They they do a great job of intertwining stories into their copy like that.
1: Yes, they do. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over a copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, But he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to GarfinkelCoaching.com and click on the services tab. GarfinkelCoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. All right. So let's move to our next topic from the book, which was the logical progression of a sales message and joe broke down one of his ads he was selling a computerized pinball machine in 1977 for about for 797 dollars which is about 4200 today and he on page 96 of my edition there there was a little flow chart had nine sections where he was he was basically mapping his copy process. And I'll just read you the steps. One, interest, excitement. Two, drama. Three, why different? Four, how to play, because it's a pinball machine. Five, unique features. Six, justify the purchase. Mm. Seven, lasting play value. Eight, service. And nine, ask for action. Now, even if you don't have the book, you can find a copy of the ad if you want to see it, just Google Joe Sugarman Bali Fireball Swipe, Bali, B-A-L-L-Y, Fireball Swipe. Anyway, the nine steps I just read to you make up a pretty good template with a little tweaking for any ad. What makes this part of the book great is that he explains the psychology of each section of the ad, and this is only two pages of a 300-page book. That's the kind of value that's in it. What I wanna focus on is how this flowchart starts, this map starts and where it finishes because I've seen a lot of mistakes even with some of my more advanced clients on this point. Notice it starts with interest, excitement and the next step drama. It ends with step nine, a call to action. So one big mistake I see In copy, and again, this is even from some of my advanced, experienced clients—people who have done eight, seven, six, and seven-figure promotions, like brought in a hundred thousand or a million in a short period of time or a year—is they put the call to action right at the top of the sales page. Now, if you have a sales page and your prospect doesn't already know everything about your product, when they get there, it's really not a good idea to put an order now button above the headline. Mm. And I think people do this maybe because they're nervous or too much in a gung-ho sell it all cost mode when they do it, but it's a mistake could cause people to click away. Like, why are you asking me to order when I don't even know what you're talking about? Now, if they already know the product and they're ready to buy, then it can work. When your product is well known, if, if you have an iPhone and everybody knows the iPhone brand new sells for $800 and you're selling it for $600, you can put the iPhone, a picture of the iPhone, a price, and they'll buy it. You know, you can sell it. Uh, assuming it's legal, I'm not sure why you would, but that would work. So any, any thoughts about asking for the order too soon?
0: Yeah, I have found that the way that I'm driving traffic impacts this a lot. If someone's going to my sales page after a 45 minute webinar, I can get away with having the call to action up higher. If they're going to my sales page after a five minute ad that does a really good job of selling in the ad then I can get away with it. But if it's just a quick lift ad, like, hey, click here to learn more. Or if it's just a a lift email or something like that where I don't do very much selling in the ad itself and the most of the selling is done on the sales page, then I need a longer sales page and I need to put that call to action lower down. So I think the the pre-framing, did the ad do a lot of selling? Did the webinar do a lot of selling? And like you said, did that, piece that came before do a lot of informing are they informed are they aware when they hit the sales page then you can get away with having the call to action up higher but if not you definitely need to have it down lower
1: i appreciate that i think based on what you said a good question to ask yourself is how much of the selling has already been done before they get to the page and if it's enough of it so you can put an order button pretty high up top then that's okay and so the mistakes i'm talking about is involved when there hasn't been a 45 minute webinar, which I would call the sales letter or a five minute ad, which I would call the sales letter. But when the another mistake is people present the offer before they've established the need for the offer in the prospect's mind, mm. people need to first understand why they need your offer. And sometimes the best way to help them see that is to dramatize the need or the problem that it solves in a story remember you are super clear on why they need it much more than your prospects are. Mm. And uh, I I guess this gets to the the curse of knowledge problem a lot, right?
0: Yeah. The curse of knowledge is definitely something we as copywriters and business owners need to always be aware of.
1: Okay. And so the, the third big problem I see with sequencing, it's not even sequencing, it's something missing is claims without proof. And this is just a huge mistake people make. Joe Sugarman didn't make it. He was very chatty and otherwise casual and and, uh, expansive and fun in his ads, but they were carefully constructed to prove his points. And Nathan, you were talking about the blue blockers. Here's one paragraph from his ad with the headline, Vision Breakthrough from 1986, the first ad he did for blue blockers. When I received the sunglasses and put them on, I couldn't believe my eyes. I kept taking them off and putting them on again to see if what I was seeing was actually sharper or my imagination was playing tricks on me. But my vision improved, it it was obvious. I kept putting on my $100 pair of sunglasses and comparing them. They didn't compare. I was very impressed. Everything appeared sharper, more defined, and indeed had a greater three-dimensional look to it. What did this product do that made my vision so much better? I found out. Now, those are claims, very interesting claims, but they're claims. And after one paragraph about theories that the color blue might actually make people depressed, he goes on to explain how and why the glasses work. And the following two paragraphs are straight up proof. Sugarman explains how the glasses filter out blue and ultraviolet light and how the blue light affects the eye and makes it harder to focus, and the danger of ultraviolet rays, which these glasses protect you from. And that's just one part of the ad. But it's all interesting. And Sugarman knew how to use proof to sell stuff. If you don't, you could do far worse than to study what he did in his ads to prove his claims. And the book contains a mini swipe file ready for you to review.
0: Mm. Yeah, all I remember is, this was back in the early 80s, maybe mid 80s, and infomercials were the way that television companies filled up empty space a lot of the times. And so there were a lot of infomercials back in the day. And that one was the one that really stood out for me as a kid was just how great of a job. And once I got into copywriting, I, like I said, I went back and just studied the heck out of that whole campaign because he was he was such a master at all of the stuff that we've been talking about today.
1: Yes. Yes, he was. Okay. So the, the next next part from his book is about children and copywriting. And uh, before before we get to this, Nathan, I want to ask you a couple questions. I hope it's not too personal to reveal that you have
0: a cat. I just got a, a new cat, yep.
1: And have you noticed yet that the cat sheds?
0: <laughs> She's a long hair cat, so she sheds everywhere. <laughs>
1: Okay, I just wanted to set that up. Now, when we were going over the Chicago Sun-Times article about Sugarman, there was a quote from his adult daughter. But from the book, here's something she wrote at one of his early seminars many years ago when she was only eight years old. And she kept telling her dad, I want to share this with the group. And he said no. And finally, he relented. And so he put it in the book. And so I share it with you now. Headline. The best pet. Subheadline. do you want a pet that doesn't shed? Copy. Think about it. You can get a pet that doesn't shed, doesn't run around the house, and is easy to take care of. you probably guessed it's a rabbit, bird, fish, or turtle, but you're wrong. It's a guinea pig. You want to know how do you take care of the big guinea pig? Where should I keep it? What does it eat? It's all simple. If you don't have a guinea pig cage, then get a box high enough so it won't get out and large enough so it can run around. Feed it guinea pig pellets and feed it a couple of fresh greens. Put plastic at the bottom and newspaper on top and at least an inch high of shavings. Put a bowl in for food and a water bottle for water. That's all you need to know. To order, call phone number and order today. Mm. So his his point that... It, Children can write copy. Anyone can write copy, and you know I have this theory called the kitchen table university. I mean, when when you have a dad who's a direct response marketer here, and you read his ads, and you hear him talking with people, and you hear him talking about the business, and who knows how many direct response principles ended up in those bedtime stories, even unconsciously, <laughs> um, you have an advantage. But children can do this. I mean. I do remember you might need to be a little older to understand all the fine nuances of copy, but it's, it's simple language and it's a pretty straightforward thing.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that copywriters have to overcome when they first start copywriting, because writers are taught to be human resources sounding type writers. And one of the things that Joe Sugarman was great at was just making The copy very personable and very easy to understand and we just mentioned copy written by a child or or written easy enough for a child to understand and i think that that was something that he and Halbert also talked a lot about is making sure that you can read it back to somebody who's not college educated and they can understand and if not then you need to go back and rework your copy
1: I mean, what would happen if Human Resources went through that ad? Surely they'd want to qualify the best pet, you know, the the best pet under certain circumstances. <laughs> and and what about all the pets that shed? You know, would, would there have to be, you know, some ennobling statement about them, too? It's just that some people, I mean, you know, anyway, <laughs> enough, enough, enough. All right, let's do a recap. And And anything else you want to say before we do a recap?
0: No, I've just really enjoyed all of this stuff that you brought in this episode. It's a great, it's a great stroll back through memory lane of getting familiar with Joe Sugarman when I first got into copywriting. So I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, truly, truly a unique, wonderful guy. So three main points. Number one, come up with a concept or a big idea for your product. Unless the product is so revolutionary and exciting in and of itself that the product is the big idea then you don't need to come up with another one you just need to present the product with enthusiasm number two there is a structure for copy sugarman shared his for one of his ads with a few small tweaks the same structure would work for any ad and number three i'm going to say when a child grows up with a direct marketer as her father and attends a high-priced exclusive copywriting seminar and her dad is an extremely gifted teacher Those are three conditions. Even an eight-year-old can write decent copy.
0: I'm just going to also add, as we're out of here, the book, the version that I have, the Adweek copywriting book, it has a lot of where he goes through and breaks down the psychology of his, it's not just that one example. And that's one of the things that I love the best about it, because I'm always trying to figure out what's going on in the reader's mind And how can I take them from step to step? And he does a great job in all of, not all of his examples, but a lot of his examples, he approaches it from that point of view, which is what really I dug about the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was charging the equivalent of ten thousand five hundred dollars for this seminar, and he was bringing a not a lifetime, but you know, many years of successful business experience. You know, in one of the toughest businesses in the world and and he was a good teacher and he really cared he really put a lot into it and uh yeah so i i like the book for the same reason
0: too. okay so ad week copywriting book is what we were talking about today we'll have a link for it in the show notes if you want to check it out and if you want to get the show notes head on over to Copywriter's Podcast dot com and while you're there make sure that you subscribe and find us on your favorite podcast app leave us a rating a review that would be very helpful and until next time we will catch you later.
1: Catch you later Hey did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app.
0: This is the Copy and Funnels
1: Podcast Network.